Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host, Dave Elliott, and on this episode, I'm chatting with Ian Grech, editor of the film 14 Peaks, Nothing is Impossible, which is now available to watch on Netflix. With over 15 years of experience in post-production, Ian is an extremely sought-after editor and colourist. His work has been recognised by BAFTA, the Royal Television Society and the Primetime Emmy Awards and has worked on projects such as Top Gear, along with a multitude of sports-related projects such as Adam Hill's Take His Legs, Beyond Human and the UEFA Champions League. His latest work, 14 Peaks Nothing is Impossible, follows the fearless Nepalese mountaineer Nirmal Pujar, aka Nims, as he embarks on Project Possible, a seemingly impossible quest to summit all 14 of the world's 18,000 metre peaks in seven months. It was Ian's job to elaborate on the character of Nims to show the audience what makes him the man that he is and what his motivations were for completing such a life-threatening task. Throughout the editing process, Ian collaborated closely with the director, Torquil Jones, to complete the challenging task of showcasing the trials and tribulations of each peak, while piecing together the hundreds of hours of footage in a way that was both exciting and true to the story. If you'd like to hear more behind-the-scenes interviews, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for Geek Town Radio. This will also give you our weekly Geek Town Radio podcast, which brings you all the latest TV, film and gaming news. You can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest UK and US TV premiere dates. Now, here's the interview with Ian Grech, editor on Netflix's 14 Peaks, Nothing is Impossible. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. It's lovely to be able to sit down and chat with you. Thank you for spending the time. No, thank you. Before we get into the film itself, yeah, just a little bit of background about you. How did you get interested in film and how did you get into the industry? I've always enjoyed combining the kind of creative and the, and the logical together uh, in anything I've, I've done. So I originally, back when I was at school, I worked in the uh, school theatre as a lighting technician. Right. 
So it would be, okay, we want to, we want to light this dance scene or something like that. It's kind of creatively, how can we do that? And then technically, how do we then execute that? Mm-hmm. I'm a musician in my spare time as well. And obviously the creative of getting a guitar out and strumming away. And then there's the recording aspects of it. I've always found that really, that technical side of it, I found really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was doing that back in my teens and things like that. So Going into college, I wanted to focus on that side of things. So I, I was doing like a media course and photography course. But then while I was at college, I then discovered a bit more of an interest in post-production of how to take a story and kind of the amount of control that you do have in an edit to to craft something. So it's not just the slapping down of pictures and, and yeah. some dialogue. You know, there's, there's a whole emotional side to it and rhythm. And that I think also links to having an interest in music as well. So uh, when I went to university, I specialised in post-production. Went to a place in London to study post-production. While I was doing that, I was also, as anybody in the film or TV industry would do, they start off as, say, like a runner. Yeah. And I was uh, an edit assistant at Post House. And when I left uni, I then went there full-time, just worked my way up. Luckily, I I worked with a very experienced editor who kind of took me under his wing. And I learned a lot from him. Mm. And it was such a small post-production house it was basically me and him you know so it's a bit of a baptism of fire coming out of university and then it's just like this senior editor is leaning quite heavily on me to kind of assist him on quite large projects and by proxy we worked on a lot of big sports events so I know nothing about sport I I, I absolutely (laughs) hands down I've no knowledge of sport like I live in London and there's it's like sport is literally everywhere I look around here I've literally no knowledge whatsoever but by proxy I was working at a post that did a lot of large sporting events right so I've always known that part of the industry and when I later went freelance a lot of the guys that I would continue to work with in the sports industry I'll be doing like openers for big sports events like a big football game or or, you know a football match yeah I've worked in the Olympics or Formula One and things like that and at the time it was all short form two three minute openers you know, 90 seconds, job, mm-hmm. job's done. A lot of the guys that I was working with on the short form stuff are also making documentaries. So they were asking me if I wanted to come on board and cut a few documentaries for them. So I was doing a few docs for ITV, kind of like hour long sporting documentaries, finding out about in certain individuals, you know, uh, yeah. whether it be like rugby players or darts players or football players and things like that. Through that, I was also working with Talkful Jones on quite a few projects at the same time and talk is the director of 14 peaks right so and in 2019 i worked on a channel 4 documentary with talk with adam hills the um the guy who presented oh, the last leg yes yeah, yeah yeah off the back of that he asked me if i wanted to work on this other project that was happening and that turned out to be 14 peaks yeah i mean 14 peaks fascinating project uh, land it's on netflix right now and it's basically following this guy that decides that he's going to to try and climb 14 of the world's highest mountains in seven months, which is a ridiculous yeah. thing to do. But yeah. <laughs> um, he's also got this really interesting sort of backstory as well. And there's lots of other things going on in his life. I watched it earlier and it's a beautifully shot thing. And I was sort of thinking, oh, I wonder what the cinematography is like. Then I realized that that's all done by him, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All the footage is him. It's not so when Talk brought it to you, was it like 
here's a load of footage go and sort it out <laughs> no 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 he, he didn't he didn't put me over a barrel quite like that but no so Talkall was introduced to NIMS about halfway through Project Possible but the footage that we received was obviously once he completed the mission yeah. and while Talk was getting his head around okay what story can we make from this I mean there was a hundred hours of footage just from NIMS <laughs> Wow. You know, and that, that's aside from the stuff that Talk shot, which was the reconstructions or the flashback sequences um, right. that were shot down at the south coast and things like that. So, yeah, there was a lot to break down. But also there was a preliminary interview with Nims very early on to find out just more about him mm. uh, because he's is a fascinating character and he's got this incredible backstory with his, his military past, just his relationships with his family as well, just so we can start to get our head around how can we approach this? Because if we did it just on a two-dimensional level of this is him climbing the 14 mountains, it could yeah. quite quickly become monotonous. Yeah. Um, as incredible as it is and as amazing as the footage is, we can do a bit of a deeper dive on Nims and his relationships and everything that was involved with making Project Possible happen and everything that was happening around it at the same time, you know, because there was, there was so much to unpack in this doc. So, so from 100 hours, it was determined quite early on it was going to be 100 minutes. So we, we, had, a, <laughs> we had a fair bit to cut down. Um, yeah. So Torquil and I, we also had a writer, Gabriel Clark, who's a documentary writer and he's a documentary maker in his own right over here. He was also kind of instrumental in helping us structure and just get our heads around how are we going to unpack all of this in this amount of time, you know, and editing is such a collaborative process anyway. So obviously there's numerous producers, you know, (laughs) there's a whole, there's, it's it's always a huge team. And and even though editing it is a big part of the the editor's job, obviously, but having a writer involved, having the director so close to me in the edit suite as well, just to kind of break down what, how are we going to develop the story? Yeah. That's the sort of interesting thing with this. Cause I mean, when you're, when you're dealing with something, which is, isn't a you know scripted narrative you talk about having a writer revolve there as well so how do you go through constructing that story the first thing off the back of a preliminary interview we would break down okay what chapters can we make what are the stories what happened during project possible where does his wife come into this because obviously she's his rock through this as well yeah um there was a lot going on with his mother as well so where does she come into the story there's fundraising for the project you know there's there's so many facets so so we just break it down into chapters and i basically create index cards and cover the edit suite wall in a load of cards basically (laughs) (laughs) this is this is is what story could be and then doing that it's almost quite tactile then because we can then go okay this chapter here this can blend in with this part of project possible this chapter here kind of makes sense to go at this part of the project or this is happening because although project possible was obviously chronological we had to flash back to certain parts of his backstory and Mm -hmm. it's where 
those things can happen. And it was a big discussion as to at what point do we introduce these parts of the backstory? Because you don't want to do it too late because it would just seem weird that we've just yeah. suddenly cut cut to these military backgrounds. And there's the 20-minute problem in all films where you need everyone to kind of be on board with, this is what we're trying to achieve. Is everybody on board? Does everybody understand the concepts of this documentary or this film? Because if it drags on for too long, then the viewer will be confused or just a bit lost or a bit bored. You need to unpack a large amount of the story before you get into the real depths of it. So obviously introducing what Project Possible is, introducing the key characters, we had to kind of unpack that very, very early on, very quickly, so everyone could understand who people were yeah. and, what was, and what was happening. So off the back of doing these index cards, the index cards would be moved around before I'd cut a frame. And then right. we would have all our footage would be prepared for the edit, transcoded, all that kind of stuff would be prepared for the edit. And we had one of the guys, his name's Elite, who was part of Project Possible. He was sort of in the background of Project Possible, who understood lots of little technicalities of climbing the mountains, because obviously a lot of it looks to, to somebody who doesn't know anything about sport. When you've got 14 mountains that have four camps before you reach a summit yeah. and you get you get footage of it, a lot of it just looks like snow, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so one of the guys that was on NIMS's team, he worked kind of in the background, came in and actually helped say, okay, this is this mountain, this is this part of this mountain, and kind of helped get over some of the technicalities of Project Possible itself. So I could then work with the projects in the chronological sense and get all the words transcribed so we know everything that's being said at all times. And I will then just begin cutting these chapters down. And then once we've cut all these chapters and we've kind of stitched it all together, we might use some temp music before it goes to the composer. It will be massively long, you know. So yeah. so we were, our first cut was about two hours 15. Um, but it was a decision that we were to hit 100 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, we're 35 minutes too long here. Where do we lose that time? What has to hit the kind of room floor? So then we begin having big discussions as to are all the characters necessary? Um, yeah. But a big part of this story is although there is the physical challenge that Nims has done and, to, and what he accomplished, there's a lot of empathy towards him as well with everything that happens with his family. Mm-hmm. And it's not just you want him to complete Project Possible, but he's battling with everything else in the background. So it's like, no, you can't take the mother out. Like, can you take his wife out? No. You know, and then, yeah. we, and then we start to, to work out, okay, what are there certain parts of the narrative that we need to take out? And are there bits we have to take out because of certification because overall it's a really inspiring story so it transcends mountaineering but it's something that can inspire a younger generation so yeah. there's some bits that were pretty gritty in the first cut mm-hmm. and then it's like you can go to certification and not be suitable for a, a certain audience yeah. so some bits had to rein in a little bit so yeah it's, there's so many factors you have to consider that isn't just you know you take all this stuff out to get it to time does a story still make sense is yeah. it still captivating and so we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater as well. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know? exactly. I mean, you've got this sort of basic structure of man climbs 14 peaks um, yes. in time periods. So you, you have got at least a sort of straight timeline. But like you say, his story is so fascinating. And I think adding that stuff in makes it a lot more actual 
accessible to people yeah. that aren't just mountaineering nerds, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's more of a human story than it is a mountaineering yeah. story. You know, and I think that's been part of its success as well. I think is the fact that everybody can relate to some aspects of this. And it's just this whole philosophy of this kind of nothing is impossible, and ju- and just more just having this determination, just having this built-in determination to do your absolute best to achieve is something that we can all take away in, in life. Yeah. He is an absolute machine as well, so there is a yeah. lot of you know it was a lot of his physical attributes that we couldn't take out as well. You know, like yeah. him going on an altitude test and doing better than some of the world's best athletes. You know, yeah. it's just to show just how strong an individual you have to be not just physically but mentally as well yeah, yeah. you know it was uh, it was it was a big part too uh, that couldn't hit the floor yeah i can't remember if it was the second or third mountain i think it was the third mountain and he's like yeah not, not only is it as a mountain that has four base camps and usually people will stop off overnight at each base camp he decides to climb it in one day with a hangover <laughs> you're like <laughs> Yeah. How? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that is the biggest question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you how do you do that? Nims and his team—they're remarkable guys, you know—and they're just completely built differently to to, <laughs> yeah. to the everyday person. I get puffed out going up a hill, but yeah. Um, it's oh. um, yeah. There's there's so many funny aspects of that. I mean, there's K two as well, where everybody's struggled to get up. Nims arrives, just holds a big party, and then just goes right. We're going to go and climb this now. <laughs> Um, I think it's also it's showing of his character as well is the fact that you can't take everything too seriously because you might get a bit too bogged down yeah. and that might overwhelm yeah. Yeah. as well. So Nims will have his own philosophy on that. But yeah, there's definitely something that you can look into with, with that kind of approach that he has. In terms of the actual footage that you get, I mean, as I said, Nims was shooting this whilst he was climbing. Mm. So presumably it's GoPros and camera yes. phones and, you know, so there's a whole bunch of different places. And he was even controlling the drone, I believe, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it was, it was someone that came up at one of the screenings. Somebody, somebody was asked asking question about if Talkwall only met Nims about halfway through Project Possible, how did you get the footage high up? How did you get the drone footage and the first mountains? And Nims just like, I was operating that drone. <laughs> so yeah, at 12 out of the 14 mountains, Nims was operating the drone. The other two mountains, there was another guy, Sandro, who was filming some other bits for, I think, social media for Nims because well, he was obviously trying to fundraise at the same time. So, yeah. he, so that he, he had a guy come and film some bits right I believe some of the drone was used for reconnaissance as well um, makes sense which, yeah. is, which is useful <laughs> so the cameras we had for the projects they were using yeah GoPros camera phones and the drones um, the nature of the footage that, that we would receive not just considering the quality of the camera that they are shot on because mm-hmm. they were very very domestic but also these guys are 8,000 metres up in you know yeah. up in the sky essentially and they're trying to climb these mountains and going against the elements so it's not your regular camera rig that you would get on a on a feature film yeah, or yeah. some of the times there wouldn't be a big camera plan or anything like that. So for some mountains, we would get a, a huge amount of footage and then there's other mountains we would only get a handful of shots for whatever reason, you know, um, environmentally while they're trying to climb, you either can't see anything whatsoever or they just need to get to the top of the mountain because yeah. for whatever reason's going on during a project. Yeah, so there was little disparities of the amount of footage, but it kind of introduced this new 
new challenge of okay how do we not brush some of the mountains off too easily you know yeah. um but coincidentally the mountains that had the lower amount of footage happened to coincide with him breaking world records so <laughs> so it would be i climbed this mountain and this mountain and this mountain in 48 hours it kind of worked really nicely almost poetically yeah. um but yeah it was really interesting to only work with those kinds of cameras in those kind of environments because that's the only way you're going to get that footage yeah you know because <laughs> some of the shots are astounding like even now yeah. when i watch it i've seen it can't tell you how many times I, I, i've seen it and every now and then there's there's a handful of shots so i'm just even now i'm like that's incredible yeah. <laughs> it is quite astonishing what you can get on fairly simple kit at this point oh, yeah. i mean oh, it's amazing it's, it's amazing the footage that, that you can get now obviously that works really well in our case yeah. when talk went to go and shoot he would go and have obviously big red cameras or big Sony cameras and things like that, or bigger drones, you know, all, all that kind of stuff, shooting 5K. Yeah. And it's also just make, making that stuff look, and there's just this rawness to the footage that, that Nims would shoot. It's something I quite like about it not being shot on your professional cameras. There's just this rawness to... Yeah to what's happening he does feel like you're there there are obviously bits which he didn't actually catch because there were things mm-hmm. going on or it was something yeah, which was a sort of flashback mind or something yeah. like that yeah. uh, the flashback sequences so you went with sort of animation for those really yeah. beautifully done animation um, mm. you just want to talk through some of those particularly there's a the scene where he goes slightly loopy as well <laughs> coming down the <laughs> yeah, road yeah. yeah so there, there, was, there were some aspects that obviously we didn't have footage of because uh, a lot of the times once they summited they may not have filmed coming back down yeah um but is this referring to the haste sequence or yes. the bit after with the yeti the haste sequence well so that that haste sequence <laughs> and the yeti sequence are sort of together yeah they one runs into the other yeah that whole yeah, sequence. yeah yeah general madness that was yeah. um so basically um with haste there's obviously a lack of oxygen to the brain and you basically start hallucinating and basically start going a bit crazy yeah it was really funny talk just came into the edit suite and just said make him look like he's losing his mind off you go you know (laughs) 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 all right let's see what we can do and um i went full-on psychedelic with it but i i kind of wanted to get across a psychological battle really so just complete disorientation which is essentially what happens when you have haste you know you don't you don't know what what is going on yeah so there was a lot of editing trickery as such to make that happen a lot of kind of composites and messing with the colors and all that all that kind of stuff to um, make it look like it's almost echoing the picture's almost echoing and juxtaposing it all with the original archive footage old newsreel footage of the climbs and things like that just so it just felt like really disorientating yeah Um, and obviously we're not going to have footage of him seeing a yeti so but (laughs) so so the other guys make the animations for that as well it was kind of the first time I've I've done some animatics for an animator to, to make something quite like this and the guys wanted obviously references of Nims's face and things like that so yeah. it will never see the light of day but the, the animatics that I have made to send to the animation team are the oddest things I've ever seen <laughs> in my life <laughs> they really are so we, we'd have we'd have like references of framing and stuff from certain movies and things like that and then there'll be some quite well known movies but they'll have Nims's face plastered on top <laughs> it was like it was like a really badly done deep fake 
like, you know, just like, <laughs> right, and yeah. um, it was one of the weirdest things I've ever done. But then the guys did an amazing job and they, they, they somehow managed to translate that into, <laughs> okay, right, I think, I think we know where we're going with this. And made, I made yeah. a really, some really lovely animations. Hey, George Lucas, when he made Star Wars, just shoved in World War II fighter planes for the... If it works, it works. <laughs> if George Lucas is doing it, we're doing something right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do you have a particular favourite sequence that you put together? My favourite sequence is probably K2 because it's kind of the epitome of the story, really. And it's you sort of have it all. You've got the drama of climbing a mountain, which is, you know, the Savage Mountain and the teams that fail to climb only a matter of a couple of days before because it was so dangerous. There was an element of technicalities because there was one part of the mountain that they couldn't get past. NIMS arrives and the mood just changes, you know, so that's something, obviously his character immediately just changes the environment. And then there's drama in tents with all the guys saying, you're insane, what are you doing going up there? You, like, you're just risking your life. Yeah. And then he decides to go ahead with it. But when he goes when he goes to climb, and something that we, we, we wanted to do throughout the documentary was while he's climbing, we would discuss other facets of his philosophy or there might be some technicalities in certain mountains or talk about using oxygen on, on the mountains and things like that. <laughs> so we had a slightly different theme on each mountain. Um, yeah. But K2 was probably my favorite because there was a really lovely riff between Nims becoming the fastest man to ever climb those mountains and Reinhold Messner, who was the first man to climb those mountains. It took him 16 years to, to, to climb yeah. those mountains originally. But they both have the same philosophy and the reasons why they climb, you know, it makes them feel alive. It's that they're basically on this planet to do that. And I thought it was just a really lovely riff between them. Just you've got two guys that have very different approaches to climbing and they have the same philosophy. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Nims wins the day because he, he does complete K2 and all the other climbers follow in his footsteps as well. So it's just a really lovely ending. I mean, like, there could be a movie in, in its own right about yeah. one mountain, you know. Yeah. I found the Everest thing really interesting because I remembered the shot that went viral. Mm. I actually yeah. remember seeing that because it was all over like Reddit and places yeah. um, of this queue going up Everest. You almost expect somebody to be selling ice creams like because <laughs> like, it's almost like it's like it's turned it into the ice cream up there. Isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah you, you, you know what I mean? It's all hot chocolates or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's so ridiculously packed yeah. that it's like it's a tourist attraction, even really, though, really, and it's really sort of. It. It's very difficult to show how utterly dangerous doing that is and how it's still quite dangerous, despite the fact there is literally a line of 100 people trying to, <laughs> trying to get up yeah, there. Yeah, and I, I never, I, yeah, I mean, I personally never understood it. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not in a position to say that, considering I've just completed the mountaineering documentary, but it's, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. this probably needs a fact check, but those guys are at the cruising height of a 747, I believe. That I sounds have, right, yeah. Yeah. And it's when you've got like 100 people to climb, climb to the top, you, can't, you sort of don't want to create a queue, do you? Uh, you kind of no. just want to get up there. And the fascinating thing about it was the fact that Nims and his team are so strong that they were just overtaking people <laughs> while, while, while they were climbing. Yeah. And, and he was more concerned about getting down, you know, right, but yeah. just, just, be, just because of the 
health aspects if you stay up at that altitude for too long. Yeah. And if you start running low in oxygen and things like that. So he was more interested in getting down than getting up, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, he might say something different, but obviously that photograph went viral. And it was also sort of one of the first steps towards with his whole fundraising and doing so many things on social media to try and drum up some interest yeah it was kind of the first drop of him being noticed of him doing it and um and then late that kind of helped later in the story when he then needed support from social media and just people to contact politicians and things to, to climb the final mountain yeah the Everest photo is is crazy it looked like it could have been shot by any of the world's greatest photographers and ah. um, he captured it perfectly but it's the first time that we'll be seeing in 14 peaks I think it must be some of the first times we've seen the moving footage of that queue and it yeah. just it just looks absolutely horrendous yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it, oh. it's just crazy and weird and yeah it's really really nuts the entire film is is absolutely stunning and really interesting we've done a great job putting it together and uh, you yeah, know because I'm not like a huge sort of outdoor person either and know oh, nothing same. about sport <laughs> and know same. nothing about sport as well so you know I, I find it fascinating it's a really yeah. interesting story I'm going to let you go in a minute, but a couple of last questions. First of all, you worked on Top Gear for a bit. Was that after this or was that before? Um, I was doing it either side. I'm actually on it right now. Um, ah, right. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I've, I've been doing Top Gear for the past couple of years. And then I took a break from Top Gear for about a year while I worked on Peaks. And yeah. then, because uh, the edit, the edit for Fourteen Peaks was around sort of eight months ish in total. I was on Top Gear in like 2018, I think. About, yeah, you yeah. did what series 27, I think you did, which something like that. Yeah, 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 just, yeah. That was Chris Paddy and Freddie first one, I think, as the three of them. To be honest, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I can't um, remember. So but, many, so many things have happened since. <laughs> yeah. What's it like coming onto such a high-profile show like that? Because I mean, that has a that that sort of has a style to it, but I guess they mm. were sort of revamping it at the same time that you kind of started working on it as well. So oh, I mean, there's certain bits I probably can't talk about just because it has to go through BBC press and all that, kind yeah. of, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, yeah, it's a brilliant show to work on. It's a really lovely team as well. Like everyone's genuinely really lovely. And the bits I would cut on that show would predominantly be what they call power tests. So the kind right. of all flashy, whiz-bangy, here's a brand new million pound car. Um, yes. Uh, sort of sections it's kind of a bit of a hybrid of working long form because you've got an opportunity on that show to you have time to make things really polished whereas on say my previous live sport event things you don't have the time to make stuff polished but it's still got to look pretty polished yes um but the, the stuff i was cutting in, in live sport was still extremely colorful and a lot of big sound effects and and various composites going on, all, all, all that kind of stuff. So it's a bit of a hybrid work to go to go on to Top Gear. <laughs> it's probably one of the reasons why the, the haste sequence became what it what it became. I think just just kind of combining all those uh, past. 15 years in my career <laughs> 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 just, uh, lots of flashbangs you know <laughs> yeah yeah 
No, great show as well. And they, they seem to have finally found their feet again with this lineup, which is good. They seem really genuine. They seem, yeah. it seem, it's, it's like it is a really genuine friendship that they have as well. And it seems to have a good laugh. Yeah, it seems to work really well. Two final questions. Mm-hmm. Question number one is what TV shows are you watching at the moment? <laughs> so we have a three month old daughter. So that, that kind of <laughs> narrows my options quite considerably. Um, just finished watching Succession, which I just think is, is incredible. Phenomenal, yes. It really is. We're also re-watching Seinfeld. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a an amazing of, yeah, show. Yeah, a real throwback, but it still holds up. Yeah. Um, what else? I mean, to be honest, my watch list on Netflix... <laughs> Yeah. is so long <laughs> it's like I need to go into hiding for a couple of months and just watch everything I yeah. think um, Children's Bake Off uh, the Junior <laughs> Bake Off I don't, I don't think that quite counts yeah yeah. Well, I, I, Succession and Seinfeld are good that, that's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I think we'll, get, we'll go with that we've just, we've just obviously had Christmas so we've just filled up with a load of Christmas films as well yeah, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes yes Muppet Christmas Carol <laughs> that's my guilty pleasure film that, that one it's just like you can't, you can't oh, yeah. Nothing guilty. Nothing guilty about that. We Thank that's you very a much. that's a tradition. <laughs> that's a tradition. We are watching Muppet Christmas Carol, and we do it every Christmas Eve. Now that's oh, that's yeah. what we do. Same here. Same here. I'm just I'm mm. looking forward to just like introducing my daughter Layla to it to it as well. Yeah, yeah. There is a one for Halloween as well. They because I interviewed the editor for that actually. Right. They've got a Halloween special which is on Disney Plus as well. Ooh, uh, right, Muppet okay. Halloween special. It's one of the best Muppet things they've done in a very very long time. That's a very high regard that. yeah no I really really enjoyed it the editing's like crazy for it as well I'd love to see that that's on Disney Plus that's well worth watching nice finally if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show can be something from the past something present or some future genre and can't be anything you've worked on already what would it be ooh well, the thing was, for years and years, I was like, I'd love to work on Top Gear. <laughs> yes, but you work on Top Gear now, I, so, I, you I, know. I do, I do that now, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Peaky Blinders is amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's I mean, always I good. I mean, that's it. And it's it. I love how they utilise the music in that. So yeah. I can imagine just, I was working on something a few years ago and that they were cutting across the hall to us so I could hear the music <laughs> coming out of the edit suite and yeah. and just hearing the kind of trialing uh, auditioning the music options no, I, yeah, yeah. just like that's I mean and and everything was amazing you know so yeah. it's like yeah. but and also it's perfect for the tone so I mean like that's a fantastic show that's a good choice and it's coming is back it, is, it, is, that, is that suitable is that that's a suitable, suitable. Choice? yeah no no, no that's it? absolutely suitable I mean yes. it's one of the best looking shows on TV and it's got one of the best soundtracks and yeah. it's just one of the coolest shows as well yeah you know yeah. so yeah that would be pretty awesome to work on well it's been lovely being able to sit and chat through your work with you the film's wonderful and uh, yes. you know it's on Netflix now so people can go and watch it definitely want to go and see good luck with uh, more Top Gear and all the other stuff you're doing alright thanks a lot Dave Cheers. thanks bye This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 